Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And uh, it's our privilege to have you with us for the last two weeks in our summer uh, series. We do family-inclusive teaching, and we've begun an adventure in what is arguably the most dramatic book, perhaps, in the Bible. Contains big stories of miracles and big stories of conflict and huge swings in loyalty and big personalities and about every other plot line that could transpire at the Olympics. And the big picture of our story in the book of Exodus is that God is orchestrating the exit of his people who have been in captivity and slavery and under injustice for uh, decades in ancient Egypt. And so our summer series uh, is looking through the book of Exodus and week one, as we talked about already, who's our week one t-shirt? All right, stand up, Micah. So week one, our uh, phrase to help us remember was God's radical provision flows to those who risk big for his mission. Oh, yes, thank you. You're an excellent model for it. Appreciate it. You didn't know you were going to have to do that when the shirt... <laughs> All right. So last week on the 22nd, we uh, encountered the story of Moses and the burning bush. And I love the picture that we had of Ruth Ellen dressed up as a janitor. Check our Twitter feed if you didn't see that one. I missed it last weekend. But in the process of having lots of fun, we learned that God often takes what's ordinary and transforms it in extraordinary, uses it in extraordinary ways. And then today, we are going to come straight up against one of the biggest myths that I think North American Christians live by, and perhaps global Christians, and that is, you may have heard this, that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That if you're following what Jesus has for you, it's a place of peace and safety and life will come up roses all the time. This is rubbish. And today we're going to learn that just because if something is a part of God's plan for you or for us doesn't mean that it will be easy. So just like the book of Exodus, sometimes things get worse before they get better. So let's pray as we look into God's word together this morning. God, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to come together in this place we come together to look into your word, and we pray that we, you would teach us, Holy Spirit. Your word is truth. It guides us into truth in all aspects of our lives, and you guide us into truth. So we pray you would speak to each heart here today, and that you would do a transforming work in each life here today. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when we left Moses last weekend, he had received this assignment from God to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. So he packs up, he heads towards Egypt. When he arrives, he meets with the elders of Israel and he has a pretty good meeting. He shows them the miracles that God showed him to do and things go amazingly well. They're super excited, but... It gets worse before it gets better, which is the title of our morning together. And that reminds me of a cluster of stories that happened in our life as a family uh, seven years ago this year, actually. And in the same year, in 2005, 
uh, we planted a church, built a house, and had our second kid. It was a little much to fit into a single calendar year. We were a little bit crazy, and it was a fairly intense period of life. But uh, I need your help to tell a few of the stories from that period of our life. So when I say the phrase, but, in kind of that over-animated way, I need you to say all together, it gets worse before it gets better. All right? So let's practice that together. But it gets worse before it gets better. Okay, good job. So when we come to those parts of the story, you'll know I'll say, but, and you'll say, all right, perfect. So the first cluster in the story cluster was when we planted Jericho Ridge seven years ago, we had no idea how hard it was to start a new faith community. We knew that God had clearly invited us on an adventure of trusting him and that we were going to be shaping a faith community together as a team here in Willoughby that was a loving and listening community, extending God's hope and reconciliation in all of life, all of the time. But we knew that that was the heart that God had given to us, but we had no idea how challenging that that was going to be. And that first year was a lot of hard work by the team. We encountered spiritual opposition like we had never encountered before. Uh, relationships were tested like they had never been tested before. And our faith was pushed to the limit as we were taught in so many ways to trust God over and over and over again, like we never knew till that point. But it gets worse before it gets better. So um, the second part of the story was the wonderful celebration of uh, receiving our second child into our home, and God was amazingly faithful, and uh, we had some close calls with our second. So I can remember uh, we had moved into our new house, and uh, we were uh, bathing her. I was bathing, giving her a little bath on, in her little bassinet just up on the counter, and so got her out, started drying her off, wrapped her up in a towel, and a few minutes after I did that, our cabinets on that wall which had all of our dishes in it, uh, came off of the wall, fell right onto the bassinet, right where she had been. The glass shattered, all of the, the dishes inside shattered, and put big dent in our counter. And if she would have been there, well, I don't know what would have happened to her, but uh, it was a pretty you know, scary moment for us, uh, right where she had been a few minutes before. But it gets worse before it gets better. Because a month later, on the day that we were to move into our new house, I got a call from Meg up at the hospital saying, you need to come up here right away. Our little daughter is uh, in isolation in the hospital, and she's having trouble breathing. And so forsook the moving van and everything else that was happening at that and went up and sat with her in her little respirator as she wrestled through that. Uh, but it gets worse before it gets better because we were moving into our new house, and in the middle of all of that, we were building, and I was wearing the hat of a general contractor, which is challenging in and of itself, considering that I can't build anything, so I have no idea why I was doing that. Uh, and I'm no Mike Olenek, after all. But as we're building, we discover that one of the trades has sued us for a large chunk of change for what ends up being negligence on their part, but it gets worse before it gets better because our site coordinator, whose partner embezzled a large sum of money from him on another project, ended up having a stroke the week of completion, and so the house was not finished and ready for us to move into. 
And so at this point in the story, all of that was happening. And I can remember sitting down and having it out with God. And I was angry. And I said, God, why is all this stuff happening to us? Like, we know that your heart for us is to be here in the community of Willoughby with our family, planting a church. Like, why all of this hardship? And I can remember God's gentle but firm reply. He said, yep, but I never said it was going to be easy. I had bought into this myth that the safest place to be was in the center of God's will. Is it the best place to be? Yes, absolutely. Is it the easiest place to be? Absolutely not. Doing what God asks you to do, whether it's serving, whether it's moving to China, whether it's coming for prayer, it's always, it isn't always easy, but it's always the right call. Because just because something is something is part of God's plan for you or for us as a church community does not mean that it will be easy. And I think one of the clearest places we see this is in the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 5. So when we leave Moses, he's headed back for Egypt and he's going to go and talk to the most powerful man in the world to convince his entire labor force who has worked for him for free to let them go. So let's read together the beginning of Exodus chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. So after his presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh, and they told him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. (laughs) Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. But Moses and Aaron persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. And Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. So, kids, let's use our imaginations for a moment here and try to picture how Moses might have felt in this conversation. Let's pretend that you go to a school. I know this is not true of your school, but let's pretend you go to the school, a school where the principal is super-duper mean. Again, I know this, we're just using our imaginations. This is not true of your school. Right? So the, uh, you had to go to the mean principal's office and you had to say to him, let all of the kids in my grade go. We need uh, three days off of school for a journey into the wilderness. I don't think it would go over very well, do you? So Pharaoh, like any mean principal would, decides Moses and Aaron are trying to lead a rebellion in their class And the kids are listening to them, and the kids are only listening to them because they have too much free time, also known as recess and lunch. So he decides what any mean principal would do, and he decides that the solution is more work. Now, you see, the job that the Israelites had was to make bricks, and brick making is super hard work. 
We saw a little bit of people doing it when I was in Africa in May. And they're looking around, and when you're building bricks, you need to put some straw into it because the straw adds a little bit of flexibility and plasticity into things and strength. So when the brick is fired, it helps it to be able to set properly uh, from the decaying vegetable matter in there. So making bricks is not easy work, even if you have all of the ingredients. But then if you have to go and collect all of the ingredients, it's even more hard work. Because now, not only do they have to mix everything by hand and make these bricks, but Pharaoh has decided they have enough free time for silly meetings at recess and lunch to talk about leaving. And so he says to them, you have to make the exact same number of bricks as you did before, but now I'm not going to give you any straw. Go out and collect it for yourself. So the text says that the people of Israel had to spread throughout the whole land of Egypt to try and find enough straw and stubble to put into their bricks. And no surprise, they couldn't make as many bricks as before. And so they get beaten very badly. And so they go to Pharaoh and complain. And in chapter 5, verse 9, Pharaoh says, Oh, you want to know why I loaded you down with more work, do you? You want to know why I'm making you sweat? Apparently, you have lots of free time to listen to Moses' lies about needing to worship God. And so if you have time for that, you have time to work harder. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. And so let's listen to how the second part of the conversation goes in Exodus chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. So the Israelite foreman could see they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make every day. And so as they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. And the foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands and an excuse for them to kill us. So then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people. And you, Lord, have done nothing at all to rescue them. The people of Israel are in serious trouble. They were in trouble before, but things have gotten much, much worse now. And they can identify only one thing that, that has changed, and that is that it's Moses' fault. And so they go and complain to Moses. And Moses thinks to himself and says, well, I got this assignment from God, so let's take it up with him. So Moses goes and complains to God with very, very strong accusations. Why did you give me this assignment if you haven't done anything to save your people? Just because something is a part of God's plan doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You see, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. So... To help us understand this concept, kids, I want you guys to come up to the front here with me, all right? So uh, let's do, we'll have a little snack time. So all the, uh, all the kids, if you guys are going into grade four, and if you're an adult that's really hungry and you've already finished the word search, then you can come to the front too. I've got lots for you here, okay? Come on up. Everyone can have a baggie. All right, Micah, you coming? 
All right. Sam's coming up. All right. Gavin, you're coming up. All right. So you've got your graham cracker. Okay. I don't want you to open your bag. I don't want you to just do anything with it right now. Um, this is going to help us understand our concept. So uh, I want you to make a fist, and I want you to start smashing your graham cracker. Okay? All right. Now, um, I, I have something here for us, uh, a little can of um, some black beans. How would you like it maybe if we you know, made a little snack? I'll mix some of the black beans in with your graham crackers. Would that be tasty? No. No? It would kind of be gross, I would think. Yeah, you don't think that would work? Well, at least I can use the can to roll out your and smush your graham crackers even more. How's that? You need some more squishing down there? Oh, Louie, yours are like pulverized. That's good. Awesome. Those are good work. Now, when, when you came up here, did you think I was just going to give you a nice graham cracker to eat? And you could take... Yeah, Micah thought that anyways, because he's already got a shirt out of the deal today, so he's all about freebies this morning. <clears throat> well, now what do you think about your little snack? It still looks good to you? Yeah. Oh, it's pretty crushed, though. I don't know if that would do anything for you. Yeah. Sometimes, when we're following God's plan, we have an idea in our minds as to what's going to happen. So we think, ooh, a graham cracker, this is going to be tasty and fun. Maybe we'll do some s'mores. We can light a fire somewhere in here. But it doesn't always work out the way that we think it does. We kind of ruined our snack, haven't we? So now I guess, you know, we'll just have to throw it out. So empty your bags into my big bag here. I know what you have. Yeah. Go ahead and pour out all of your graham cracker crumbs in there. Yeah, we'll just get rid of them there. That's good. All right, perfect. Perfect. Kind of seems like your snack is a little bit ruined. Yeah. All right. Pour them out. Does it smell good? Yeah. These wouldn't make very good s'mores, though, would they? <laughs> mm-hmm. It'd be a little tricky. Yeah. The marshmallow might stick, just pick some stuff up. All right, Louie, you going to put yours in there, too? Awesome. All right, the there we go. Well, so God told Moses to, in the burning bush, to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Oh, thanks, Gavin, you put that in. But Pharaoh is a really hard and cruel and scary man, and he likes having people work for him for free. So he says, "Uh uh-uh. So it's not going the way that Moses maybe thought that it would go. Because sometimes when we actually do what God tells us to, it actually looks like everything has gone wrong. We look silly sometimes. Maybe we think to ourselves, we imagined what God told us. Maybe that wasn't what God told us after all. But that only means that actually God's rewards sometimes don't come in the same ways that we picture them and in the same timing that we should. Sometimes God likes to do a little bit of the work himself. So you know what mushed graham cracker crumbs? They're not good for s'mores and they're not really great for crackers. But you know what they are really good for? They're really good for topping pies. Yeah. So this, let's have some, a good snack, a better snack actually than we thought. All right, so this is a, I think it's a lemon pie, isn't it? Yeah, so we'll put this on the top, so, and we'll get this all, where's my little pie server? Okay, Samara, are you ready for some? Okay, so, well, we have to top it first, ready? Okay, all right, 
Oh, yeah, there we go. That's even better. Perfect. Okay, whoops. Oh, yours is a little bit messy, but it's going to taste good. All right. Okay. Louie, you coming over? Oh, you got a good one. Okay, you ready? Okay, you might have to share with your parents. Oh, says Jared. All right, Sam, you all set, dude? Okay, here it comes. Michael, your brother's kicking himself that he didn't come now for pie. <laughs> okay, there we go. Gavin, are you ready for some? All right, dude. Whoa, the whole pie's coming out on yours. You got a good piece. Awesome. Okay, you guys need some forks. Oh, that's good pie. Free pie. Any free pie is good in your mind. <laughs> All right. Jared will get. That's right. There you are, sir. Okay. Right on. Everybody got forks? Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay, you guys can head back to your seat mm. and enjoy your pie. Thank you for helping me. Mm-hmm. See, sometimes in the middle of doing God's will and following God's plan, we have to trust him with the process because it doesn't always turn out like we think it's going to turn out. We have pictures in our minds sometimes of how following Jesus is going to look for us, and it doesn't always match up. Even if it looks like we're messing things up sometimes, even if we can't quite see where God is heading us, Instead of smashed up graham crowns, sometimes God's actually making something more interesting. So when Meg and I were in that kind of dark night of the soul seven years ago, I could not have imagined and pictured what God was up to in terms of what he was shaping in our life, in terms of what he was shaping in our character and in his church here in Willoughby. All I was seeing at that moment was a big bag of smashed up dreams that didn't look like they were progressing in any particular direction. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been in much, much worse circumstances than that. Some of you are there right now. Some of you feel like, well, God never listens to my prayers, so why should I keep praying? Some of you may feel like you've tried something and it hasn't worked. Some of you feel like, well, why did God do that or take that person away from me or why did I go through that particular experience in my life? Sometimes it feels like God's punishing us and giving you extra homework, making bricks without straw. I love in the New Testament, in the book of Second Peter, Peter, you remember, is this brash and impatient disciple who follows Jesus but can't really wait for anything good to come of anything. He's always trying to make something of it himself. And he writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, an important lesson that I think he learned through the course of his life, and that is this. He says when he's writing, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise like some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. I think Peter was learning in his life and in his experience that sometimes faith in God includes faith in his timing and in his purposes. 
I love God's response in Exodus chapter 6 to Moses' complaint. Moses gets right up in God's face and says, you did this. This is your problem. And God simply reminds him and says, I need you to go back into the fray. I need you to go back to the people of Israel who are really, really, really mad at you right now because nothing has changed. And I need you to say to them, I am the Lord. I will free you from your opposition. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your own possession, for I am the Lord. This little project, Moses, that I gave you to do, it's still in my hands, even though right now it seems completely out of control. And as we prepare to move into a time of reflection and response this morning, I want to ask a couple questions for you to think about. One of the questions is, what season of life do you find yourself in right now? A before, during, or after season. If you're in a before season, it means that uh, God to date has graciously spared you from incredibly deep pain or hardship. And that's his gift to you. It's his grace in your life. But my word of caution for you this morning, if you're in a before circumstance right now, is to just be careful about what you say to people who are not in the same season of life as you. Because being trite, our, our, sometimes when we're in a before season, we can be a little bit trite or, or serve up platitudes very easily to people on Facebook or email or in person. And those platitudes to people that are not in before seasons can come across as very hurtful and callous. If I'm an Israelite foreman and Moses says to me, buck up, friends, I'm sure that straw collection is all part of God's plan. It feels like a slap in the face. So if you're in a before season, my counsel to you is choose your words carefully. Be aware of what and how you communicate to other people who are maybe in different seasons of life in you. Because maybe this morning you're not in a before season, maybe you're in a during season. And if you're in a during season, you are in the middle now of some hurts and some hang-ups. Maybe you've been there for a long period of time. You're confused and beaten down and discouraged, just like the Israelites were after hundreds of years of slavery. And sometimes it's really hard to know what to do in this season. One of the interesting things I take away personally from this story uh, is the brash nature of Moses' conversations with God. You thought that the Psalm series that we did last month, Taste and See, was pretty gutsy in terms of the conversations to have with God. Moses, I think, is even more confrontational and even accusatory in his conversation with God. He's bold. He's forthright. He doesn't pull any punches at all. He doesn't make any efforts to hide his disappointment or frustrations. But God has something to teach Moses throughout his life. And Moses actually reflects back on it as an older individual 
and reflects that one of the things that God was teaching him all through the different seasons of his life, his desert sojourn, his growing up in Egypt, was patience. God's response to Moses' griping was to remind Moses again that God was still in control. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And sometimes that's just how it is. And so it's okay to be vocal with God about that. To learn patience in the process and to invite others into that journey with you that can support you. Because the third stage, maybe some of you are here today and maybe you've walked through a deep phase in your life already. You've grieved as you've lost a parent or a friend. Or you've sat in the doctor's office when the doctor said it's cancer. Or maybe you've been through a season of your life or an extended period of time where you've lost faith and hope. Maybe you are in an after season this morning, which is also an amazing gift that God has given to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says that one of the things that God does in our lives is that he helps us in the times of our challenge and difficulty so that we can help others. It says we're overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, but as a result, we have stopped relying on ourselves, but relying on God. And so if you've been through a season of life and some deep waters, one of the things that you can do is to be vigilantly praying for and standing with others who are in the during season of life. You can help others to navigate those confusing currents of life without drowning and to make sure that you're doing it in a spirit of grace and compassion and not smugness, like, well, you'll figure it out eventually. I certainly did. All of us, no matter what phase that we're in, have to ask God for strength and for grace and for maturity to empathize with others in other stages and experience. Moses was further down the road than the foremen were in terms of their faith in God's ability to deliver his people. But altogether, they had to wait and to watch, and we'll see how in the coming weeks God did amazing things. But I think that they had to go through that season where it got worse before it got any better. And I think the perfect picture for us in that is a picture of the communion table because it reminds us of the fact that God himself actually knows exactly what that experience feels like. Think about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. On Good Friday, it always feels to me like it's getting worse before it's getting better. But Jesus demonstrated for us the way in which God pictures and practices victory in very unexpected ways. There's a Swiss theologian, kids, how would you like to have this name? Hans Urs von Balthasar. And he reminds us that on the cross, Christ doesn't banish tragedy from our lives, but he carries it into the very heart of God. The tragic parts of life are not banished by the resurrection, but they are overcome by it. And so to walk with Jesus is to embrace both the pain and the joy of life in all of its fullness even in the face of death. For resurrection has no meaning without the tragedy of death. It seems 
like we often go through the dark night of the soul, the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross and the grave before we get to resurrection hope. Sometimes it just gets worse before it gets better. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the team to come and lead us as well as those who are serving at the communion tables. And as we do, I want to remind you of a few things. One is that communion here at Jericho is open to anyone who has professed Jesus as Lord of their life. doesn't matter if you're a part of this faith community or not. And so if you're a parent, we leave it up to you and your discretion to have that conversation and discernment for your child's participation. But if you're here today and you've never taken that step and you don't know God as the forgiver and as the leader of your life and want have invited him to walk with you through every circumstance of life, then the team is available for you, the prayer team's available for you this morning to pray with you and discern. And I want to encourage you, don't leave today without making that decision and having that conversation about the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. The prayer team is also available to celebrate with you and support you if you're walking through a time of high challenge right now. To pray with you for a friend or a family member or for a season of life or if you would like to talk with them about anything. And so don't rush in this time. We've got lots of opportunity. There's time for you to spend time doing business with God before you move to the communion table. So let's pray together as we move into this time of response and reflection. And then whenever you're ready, you can move to the communion tables. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Because you are there to walk with us through every circumstance of our life. You are there to demonstrate, as you did so clearly on the cross, the incredible depth of your love. And so, Father, as we remind ourselves this morning again of your love and care and compassion for us, particularly for those of us who are in deep waters and walking through some painful experiences right now, things that we don't have a lot of hope in, Father, I pray that your comfort and your people as the extended hands of Jesus would walk with every person in this place this morning. Father, we acknowledge the pain and the hurt of loss and of suffering in this world. We don't try to minimize it in any way because that's the path that you chose, Father. And so we remind ourselves of that through this celebration. We also remind ourselves of the ultimate victory that you won over sin death and the grave and father you invite us to participate in that life eternal for all who are members of your family who have come into a deep and meaningful adventure with you and so if there's anybody here in this place today that hasn't begun that adventure just with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes are closed If you want to start that adventure today and you've never done that before, just raise your hand up and the prayer team will come and find me and we'll pray with you and walk you through that process this morning.
So as we move into this communion time, Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy you've shown us at the cross. We invite you to pour it out yet again into our lives this morning.